Well, hello there. Is it episode 19 of the Classical Guitar Composers podcast you're looking for? Hosted by me, Chris Hales? Then you've come to the right place. Welcome, my friends. I'm glad to have you joining me for yet another episode of the show where we get to hear classical guitar compositions from around the globe, submitted by you, the listener. If this is your first time joining me, this is a show that features listener-submitted original classical guitar compositions, and it's where you can have your original composition featured and heard around the world. All you have to do is send an mp3 recording to chris at classicalguitarcomposers.com. You send me an mp3 of your music, and I play it on the show. It's that simple. So sit back and get comfortable, and prepare to hear some great guitar music. Becoming increasingly apparent that I really need to get a format down for this show. I have absolutely, I mean, I'm coming in just cold. I have no idea what, what I'm doing today. What happens a lot of the time when I record this show is, you know, I'll have a few things on my mind. Maybe even, you know, like sometimes I'll write down uh, an idea of something I might want to talk about on the show. And so sometimes I'll, I'll sit here and then I'll, I'll carry on uh, worrying that it's going to be a really short episode and then I end up cutting some of it out because it went too long. And so what happens is I don't remember sometimes what I've talked about and what I've not talked about on this show. I need to keep a database of topics that I have covered. But I don't, I don't think this uh, has come up before on the show, but... Uh, I was on YouTube recently, a while ago, but uh, a recommended video for me popped up, and it was, it was like a, an orchestra playing a medley of Iron Maiden songs, and, you know, it was it was like a, it, it was an orchestral medley of Run to the Hills, The Number of the Beast, and I think Fear of the Dark. So it was a orchestra, but then they also had like an electric guitarist and a drummer, in one of those you know, fiberglass boxes on stage with the orchestra, and, you know, I didn't like it. And I've realized I really don't care for these rock symphonies, uh, for the most part. Once I heard a, like, a marching band playing Sugar Magnolia by the Grateful Dead, and it was really cool for about 30 seconds, and then you start to realize that there's not a lot of variations in these songs, like... You know, and as much as I love this music, as much as I love Iron Maiden, I don't think it translates to orchestra well. I don't think I've ever heard an orchestral arrangement of any kind of real popular tune that I've really liked. But the reverse often works. Some songs, not not all, but there are songs that can be transcribed and uh can work really well as, say, a classical guitar piece. I've done one myself. I did uh, Ozzy Osbourne's Goodbye to Romance. I did a classical guitar arrangement of that. It's actually on my YouTube page if if you're interested. I've, I've got a video of me playing it. But even that one, you know, I, I like my arrangement, but I did the entire song, and uh, I was like, maybe, you know, it's pretty long. I, I think maybe I should have cut a verse or something, but 
but yeah, I think it can, I think it can work really well that way, but I, I do not like, I, I don't really, you know, I don't really like when they take, uh, pieces for a solo, a soloist and transcribe them for orchestra and, you know, it's when the source material is pretty small, the, it, it's often boring to me hearing the full orchestra. I mean, I guess, uh, it, here's a good, here's actually a good exercise in studying composition, uh, where you take an orchestral piece, say, say take a symphony and you transcribe it just for piano. And I don't mean like arrange it so that it's playable, but you just take all of the notes and translate them onto a treble and a bass clef. And, you know, it, it, you see, oh, it's, it's really not as big as it sounds. So, I mean, I guess in theory that should work to take a, a solo piece, but, but I, I, I just don't, I don't like a lot of the arrangements I've heard of, of stuff like that. A good example would be the uh, Romanian folk dances by Bartok, which were written, they're pretty just kind of small piano pieces. Somebody, I cannot remember uh, who did it off the top of my head, I don't remember his name, but I played them when I used to play violin, but someone arranged them for violin and piano, and that arrangement is stellar. That is the best version of those. They're gorgeous. But then there's another arrangement uh, that that's for full orchestra, and I think it's boring. I'd rather hear it smaller. So yeah, these rock symphonies keep popping up on my YouTube page, and I need to stop clicking on them because then more keep popping up. It just doesn't do it for me. I guess it can serve as a good, uh, you know, it, it might bring more ticket sales to the concert for the orchestra, for people who wouldn't normally come. So I can see why they do it, but it just doesn't, just doesn't do it for me. All right, well, I have a very good show lined up for you today, as far as music goes. <laughs> Topic-wise, I, like I said, I, I don't fully know what, uh, what I'm going to talk about today. Maybe I just shouldn't. Maybe I should just go straight to the music. No, we, we have some good stuff for you today. Uh, I'm going to be, uh, how would, how about something good coming from Minnesota? I think it would be nice for us all to hear something nice coming out of Minnesota. And that's what we have today. We're featuring the music once again of David Malmberg. Now, David Malmberg sent some music to the show very early on. He's in, uh, one of the early episodes or two of them. I think he sent me music that I ended up splitting up over two episodes really good music and we have some new stuff by him today we'll be featuring and i'm very excited about that but more on that later i also have some emails to read so why don't we go ahead and do that let's jump into some email so here's an email from our featured composer in the previous episode martin slater martin writes chris thank you so much for your cast 18 which has featured numerous contributions from myself these pieces have waited a long time before being given this incredible opportunity for sharing with the wider world. As I have said before, music is nothing without an audience. Indeed, I nearly lost the whole lot in the 90s. In this, I nearly joined the club of Barrios and Villalobos in an unwanted manner. Martin, I'm not quite sure what you mean. What is the club of Barrios and Villalobos? 
You're going to have to elaborate more for me. Are you saying your music had no audience? Did theirs go without an audience for some time? You know, I really don't know much about either of their lives, to tell you the truth. I, yeah, you'll have to elaborate on that for me. I'm curious. I did notice uh, on... There's that streaming website called 2BTV. There's a movie called Mangare that is about Barrios. I don't know if it's any good. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm curious. Yeah, I, I, I really don't know much about him. But he's a great contributor to the classical guitar, a very important figure. Maybe I should not be admitting over the airways my ignorance. I do not profess to be an expert, though, just a enthusiastic guitar player and composer. Martin goes on. Regarding the different keys, Manuel Ponce has already done this in the original pre-Segovia edition of his 24 Preludes. So Martin is referring to, I was saying, I'd like to write a piece in every key. As you said, Segovia could be very opinionated regarding pieces written for him, and that is very much the case here. His published edition was 12 cherry-picked Preludes, with two also being transposed. Yeah, I've heard these, and uh, yeah, he liked to do that. I actually have a recording of the entire set. I think I have two different recordings. I like Ponce, which, is that how you say that? I always called him Ponce, <laughs> but uh, my teacher insisted it was Ponce, so we're going to go with that. He has a piece called Vespertina, and it is not a commonly played piece. I don't know how available it is, so I... I, I had a hard time tracking it down, but I was actually able to find the, the score. Uh, I have a recording by Adam Holtzman, and that is the only one I've really ever been able to find. Granted, this would have been about eight years ago when I was looking for this, but at the time, I could not find the sheet music to this piece to save my life. I couldn't find recordings. I almost... Uh, attempted to write an email to Holtzman asking him where he got this music, but I didn't uh, because, you know, I don't know him. And uh, my teacher suggested going to the BYU music library. So I, uh, I was a student at the U Utah Valley University. Just down the road is BYU, which is a much more famous school, uh, that's where a friend of the show, Parker, studied. And uh, I, I've made it like a lifelong thing that <laughs> I, I don't care for BYU and I, I kind of make fun of them. And, you know, because I, I live right in the middle of it. Uh, I, I'm surrounded by BYU fans. I have been all the time, all my life. But my uh, status as a UVU student enabled me to go to the BYU library and my teacher insisted they would have it. He said they had everything. And they had it. So I obtained a copy of Vespertina by Manuel Ponce. And that is an incredibly beautiful piece. It's really... What is the word? How would I describe this piece? What did they call that where uh, in the, in the, around the turn of the century, like Debussy did this a lot, but they, they wrote their harmonies in fifths and fourths a lot. They kind of abandoned thirds which gets old to me 
pretty quickly, but there, but there is a lot of cool music that came out of that. Uh, a little bit goes a long way, but a little bit can be very tasteful and nice. But Vespertina is a great example of, of that style of writing. It's, oh, I cannot remember what they, what they call that, but, uh, Anyway, and then it, it ends with just an... The ending is phenomenal. It's a very... It, it has an almost improvisational feel. Anyway, I recorded it. I have a recording of it, of me playing it. So there's actually two that I know of. But, uh, of course, mine is not officially released. And doesn't fit the show, so I'm not going to play it on the show. And it's not on video, so I'm not going to put it on YouTube. So I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to hear it. But uh, it's not a public domain work anyway but it's a great piece if you can find it i suggest checking it out if you really want to hear it and you can't find it uh i email me i'll send you my recording but yeah i was able to track down that ponce piece anyway the 24 preludes yeah i have a couple of recordings of those and uh they're both complete there's there's all 24 i'm not sure if they used segovia's transpositions or not it seems to defeat the purpose of it if you I mean if you're going to do all 24 did they actually I don't even know if I realize that are they in every single key there is the 36 caprices by Lignani and there is at least one piece in every key from that set that's a pretty cool little set of pieces I like those they're 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 interesting some I think are are pretty cool. Some are kind of eh, composition wise, they're they're fine. Uh, but some of those are really cool. Uh, the the trouble I have with those is is <laughs> discipline. They're difficult. I mean, they they're supposed to be like, I believe he was attempting to do like the Paganini caprices, right, for guitar. So they're intentionally difficult, and. They're they're gettable though. I think most of them anyway. I've I've read through them all, uh, but I, I haven't added them to. I haven't seriously like worked on one. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Martin continues. I have been familiar with both sets for years, but have been working on Segovia's version as my society's theme night recently. Before the social chaos hit, was Segovia. I have a CD of the complete version played by Horst Klee, and yes, some of them are very short. Number four is 13 seconds, and number 23 is seven. But it is the only example I know of where this has been achieved in guitar music. The same of the composer has, of course, been totally lost by Segovia's butchery to satisfy his own performing ideas. This is the difference between the composer's conception and the performer's notion of what an audience will accept. Well said, Martin. And I think you just answered my question. It sounds like he did do those with the intention of uh, writing in every key. Martin goes on. Regarding my cube base, it is way out of date, version 6, but I have emailed Steinberg, the publisher, to see if there is any way of properly updating it without starting all over again. I will get to grips with it. All the best, Martin. P.S. Apparently Hans Zimmer uses cube base, so it can't be all that bad. Oh boy, okay. Are we calling Hans Zimmer a composer on this show? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I gotta tell you, I, I, we all have our opinions. I I just don't. Mine, often unpopular, with 
friends and family. Uh, he's not my favorite. <laughs> my older daughter likes Hans Zimmer. Uh, she she really likes film music, and I I, I really don't. I often make fun of film scores, and uh, particularly <laughs> Hans Zimmer, which makes her mad. It's kind of funny. That's not to say that all film music is bad. There's some good stuff, but uh, it lacks something for me in that it's it, the music is being written to fit around something else, and it's fun to do. I just don't find it fun to listen to, like, without without the movie. I can really get into the music as I'm watching a movie, uh, but if I listen to the soundtrack, it, it does almost nothing for me. Like, I have the soundtrack to Star Wars. I love the music to Star Wars. I don't ever listen to it, ever. I don't even know why I have it. Like, you, you hear that opening theme of Star Wars? It's pretty cool for a second, but if you just keep listening, it just, uh, it's, it's kind of random. <laughs> you know, I, I appreciate something with some form for listening purposes. Anyway, all joking aside, thank you, Martin. I appreciate your many contributions to the show. Uh, you've got the conversation going today. I really, I really needed that boost. I just came in with no plan. It's kind of a cr crazy times right now, and uh, you know, I hope this show provides a good distraction and a place where all of our differences aside, on this show, we're all just music lovers, and we're here as music lovers, and that's that's what we're going to talk about. So it's a nice relief for me. I hope it is for you as well. So yes, thank you, Martin. All right, I have a e another email here. This one is from, I would imagine the name's pronounced Marson. Might not be totally relevant to the show, but he emailed the show, so it says, Hi, Chris. Listen, I found your YouTube channel, and I also I found the Vivaldi Spring Orchestra arrangement. I really appreciate your work. I was looking for something like this, because I wanted to practice the guitar on top of this. I also play the violin. That's why I love some classical music. I hope you are doing well, and I hope you will find my email. Is that a MIDI or the real orchestra? Respect, bro. Well, thank you. I would love to hear you play the spring on the guitar. That'd be really cool. So I'm glad to hear that. It's not an arrangement. It's just a recording of Vivaldi's stuff i just recorded it it's it's no no arranging necessary just exactly as he wrote it and uh yep it's midi but thank you marson okay and i'm just going to continue through the continue through the emails as they came here's another one from martin slater this one is regarding the brahms conversation that came up in the previous episode chris maybe you have heard of the term brahms and list this is generally used to describe an unresolvable conflict. In this case, essentially the rather abstract approach of the former against the inflated romanticism of the latter, who was actually Wagner's father-in-law, even though they were actually contemporaries. I think the problem you have with Brahms is that his music is generally not melody-based. In fact, the dedicatee of his violin concerto actually refused to play it, complaining that other instruments had all the tunes, whilst he, the soloist, had none. He did, however, concede to melody in his Hungarian dances, which were inspired by his protege, 
Antonin Dvorak's success with his Slavonic dances. Other than that, Brahms was very self-conscious of following Beethoven, which is why he took about 20 years to complete his first symphony, which, in the end, actually included deliberate quotes from Beethoven. I think there may be guitar duet transcriptions of some Hungarian dances. And so my classical music ephemera continue to flow. Martin. So Martin's referring to me mentioning that Brahms just another composer that just doesn't do it for me and he's truly one of the greats at least as regarded that way and I can't I cannot deny Brahms's innovation and his his talents it just a lot of his music just doesn't move me and uh yeah you may be onto something with the lack of melodic lines is very much into like colors and moods I think for me it's just um well, I don't know. I don't know if it's the lack of melody. I really can't put my finger on it. I have always liked the Hungarian dances, so maybe that is the case. I think they were originally written for two pianos, and I do prefer them that way. Another case of them being expanded for orchestra. I don't like it as much. I had a teacher who had an interesting theory about uh, Brahms' quotings of Beethoven, and I don't remember what symphony it was in, it might be the first one, but where he quoted the Ninth Symphony, but then like resolved it with a plagal cadence, and my teacher's theory was that he was saying, see Beethoven's suggestion that the brotherhood of man was the solution to life, the universe and everything. <laughs> And Brahms was suggesting perhaps you need to look higher up above. So not being a, I, I, it was very fascinating when uh, I learned that, but not being the biggest enthusiast of Brahms, it, it hasn't stuck with me and I don't remember for sure what the exact situation was. But I, I basically just summed up my response to Martin, which I had emailed him, and then he writes back, Chris, more to add, when Brahms was accused of plagiarizing Beethoven's Ode to Joy in his first symphony, Fourth Movement, he stated, any fool can see that. However, the use of the plagal cadence is more subtle and is new to me. Thinking about him, I believe his philosophy was music driven by textures, particularly in orchestral, stores, orchestral scores, with melody being somewhat secondary. From what I know of the subsequent directions music took, you might view Schoenberg's, Schoenberg's second Viennese school, the ultimate synthesis of that trend. Edgard Varese's blocks of sound might also be an alternative result. Personally, I view both of these trends as dead ends. Regarding Brahms for guitar, Bream and Williams play an arrangement of his theme and variations, Opus 18, on their live album of 1979. Martin couple of things you brought up there, Martin. Uh, I have to agree with you on the dead ends. Yeah, Schoenberg thought that he was advancing German music, I believe, specifically. And that he was taking this the only way there was left to go. Now, it's been a long time since I studied this stuff. Did Schoenberg... Is he the inventor of the 12-tone approach I I want to say he was the first to do that I could be wrong but when I was talking about um, that kind of Debussy style with the 
with the very hollow harmonies that are built on fifths and fourths. I was saying a little bit of that goes a long way. I would say even less goes a lot farther when it comes to 12-tone music, and I would not describe it as pleasant. I've brought this up. I know I've talked about this on the show, though, so maybe I will just backpedal right now and let's not go down that road. But, But really, like, do you ever drive in your car and listen to to Schoenberg <laughs> like like okay I grew up in a you know my hometown is, is a bit of a, a hick town and what everyone liked to do on Friday night was get in your truck and drive up and down Main Street you know whistling at girls showing off your truck I mean that's that's what people did I'm not saying I did this but uh, that's what people did can you imagine somebody like pulling up in his truck, <laughs> blasting some of that really weird vocal stuff that Schoenberg wrote? <laughs> hey, baby, hop in my truck and we'll listen to some of this Piero Lunaire. Ugh. I just don't get it. I really don't. And that's what people say. Well, you just don't get it. That's right. I don't. Maybe there's better stuff. I mean,. My knowledge of, of classical music is, is probably, I mean, it's, I, I do not profess to be an expert. It's limited to what I like and what I had to study in school. <laughs> so, like, I have not immersed myself in the the world of classical music in the early 20th century, other than what I've come across and have learned and enjoyed, and then, of course, all the great guitar music that we have. So, you know, there I love that period of classical guitar, so maybe there is good stuff, but like even a even like atonal music, I'd rather I'd rather hear a classical guitar play atonal music than an orchestra. You know, and maybe that's well, I mean that's a taste thing, I guess, but I it just uh, stuff feels even worse the more instruments get put on it. Even even combos like when I was in college I entered a competition for writing a woodwind quintet and I wrote I've maybe talked about this before I don't know but uh, I I took runner up which I'm still not happy about because my piece was the best piece it was better than the, the winner but that's okay one of the judges there was three judges and all three judges had music performed at this concert and uh one of them who uh, there okay so you had the judges actually now i'm con- now i'm not so sure they were the judges there were the judges and then there were the guests like the winner and the runner up got to have private lessons with these three guest composers that came I don't think they actually were the judges now that I think about it. But the one that gave me the weirdest lesson, and I mean weird as in like, there was no lesson. It was just a, him asking some questions, and, and he was he was a very eccentric personality. I, I would describe him as just very much caught up in his own hype. I don't know. Anyway, his his piece was what he might describe as, as challenging what you might think music is. Let's put it that way. He's trying to challenge you with this music. 
And when I write a piece, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to challenge you. I'm trying to entertain you. Really, I'm trying to entertain me. I'm trying to write something that I would enjoy listening to. And that that's why I listen to music. That's why I play music. I don't I don't do it to challenge my foundations of what I believe music can be. What is art? All those stupid questions. That does nothing for me. My grandpa was at that concert and he dubbed the he, he dubbed that guy's piece as the faucet dripping in the men's bathroom. <laughs> and that's about what it was like listening to. And it was for a woodwind quintet. All the all the music was written for woodwind quintet. So it was a night of woodwind quintets. Uh so hearing five woodwinds pound out atonal music was excruciating. The piece that won, the one that beat me, it was tonal. It was a nice piece. She did good. Good for her. It was a nice piece. I just, mine was better. It really was. Anyway, yeah, dead ends. Those those are dead ends for me. I, I don't care. I, I just... It is the side of academic music that I just don't care for. And I guess maybe the other direction is like film scoring, which also doesn't do it for me. Maybe I'm just hard to please. Maybe I'm the problem. Oh, and then the uh, other thing Martin mentioned was the recording of Breams and Williams playing the theme and variations. I need to hear this, so I didn't know that they had a live album together. I have their... They have the two albums. There's one called Together, and then there's Together Again. And I love both of those. I I didn't know they did a live one, so I've got to find this. Those are great. The what a great guitar duo. I mean, that, that's kind of legendary. Breams and Williams, that's... That's pretty amazing. I I really admire both of those players. John Williams sometimes... Well, both of them, really. Sometimes they uh, interpret pieces weirdly for my taste. John Williams... <laughs> like, I swear he has something against... Uh, dotted 8th to 16th note rhythms. Like, there, there's times where... Uh, like when he plays the second movement of the cathedral, he plays that dotted rhythm as straight eighth notes. I don't know why. That that's one thing I don't like that he does though. But I know I also know like he he played Sevilla by Albanis that way, and then it was on his his DVD. I can't remember what it's called. I can't even remember who it was talking to him. It might have been a I don't know somebody who knew their stuff on Spanish music, but. Uh, said that that emphasis on the dotted rhythm was actually really important for the dance. So Williams started playing Sevilla with the dotted rhythm. But uh, that's probably the Segovia influence is what I'm going to attribute that to. But anyway, what a great guitar duo. And Julian Bream is... Man, he's really up there in age. And he's still going. He's, you know, he doesn't tour, but... Uh, I read an article... Uh, interview with him a few years ago where he was saying that you know he feels like he plays better now than he ever has so I hope that's true good for him so thank you very much Martin as always I very much appreciate your contributions to the show next email comes from Justin I'm sorry Justin I don't know how to say that your last name, so we're just going to go for it here. 
Email comes from Justin Baranuk from Winnipeg, Canada. Hi, Chris. I've started listening to your podcast on Spotify. I'm enjoying the show. Keep up the good work. I will write again soon. Regards, Justin. Thank you very much, Justin. I'm glad to hear that. I wasn't that it that it's coming through on Spotify. I don't I don't use it, so it was a little confusing getting the show up on Spotify in the first place, but it I've had a few people say that say that that's how they listen to the show, so I'm glad to hear that. I did notice something on YouTube recently. So I don't think very many people consume this show on YouTube. Like maybe two people do. I don't know. Most of the listens come through just your standard podcast streaming sites, uh, like iTunes and whatnot. But I did recently find out that YouTube is like, because some of uh, the contributors, their music is copyrighted. Uh, YouTube, I guess, has an algorithm scanning for that, so it's found that there's copyrighted music in these episodes. It's actually like blocked some episodes and uh that's fine it, but if you are listening to this show through youtube you might not be getting the whole thing you might want to try something else so anyway let's see oh i forgot about this one okay martin sent me another email um unrelated to the show but kind of related because of what I talk about, but he said, Chris, if you don't already know about Max Brooks, I think your interests in horror and sci-fi are in for a whirlwind journey. Enjoy, and he sent me this article. When I read that, I just automatically assumed Max Brooks, the composer. Oh no, that's Brooke, right? <laughs> Max Brooke? Anyway, Max Brooks. Son of Mel Brooks, which I didn't know. So here's my knowledge of Max Brooks. I tried to read World War Z and I didn't like it. But I thought the movie was very good. Uh, but yes, I, I I actually... I need to look at this article, Martin. I kind of... That one slipped through the cracks. Okay, Martin also sent me a uh, an email about that Diabolic Caprice. And he sent me a video so in the previous episode I was talking about. Comparable, comparable versions of that one. And he sent me a fairly newer recording. At least a newer video of it with the guitarist Jeremy Juve I'm sure I'm saying that wrong where he he played something a lot closer to the original version I really like it it's very good so that's maybe I I really need to keep my topics current <laughs> because last I had looked up that video on YouTube that that one doesn't exist there was one by this is name Campanelli or something like that I can't remember but he did something he did basically the original version but it's an awful recording it's like recorded off a crappy video camera or a cell phone or something I don't know yeah I've kind of moved off the diabolic caprice for a while uh I actually was looking at this I realized I'm working on these two sonatas I've been playing the Giuliani sonata in C something a little easier but very nice I really like Juliana's not NC. It grows on me more and more all the time. And it's very playable, which sometimes can just be nice. And yet it's kind of hard at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's deceptively difficult, but playable. And I've been working on the 
the one I mentioned last time as well, the uh, Taroba Sonata Fantasy in A minor. And I was thinking that'd be kind of fun to program a recital of sonatas from the different eras. So you could do like a Scarlatti Sonata that's like a single movement, right? You could do a box Sonata, you know, and so on from the different areas. And I was thinking, so I've got the Giuliani Sonata in C, and I'm playing the Sonata in A minor by Taroba. And then the only box Sonata I've ever worked on is box Sonata in C, which is the third one, the one for solo violin, but transcribed to guitar. And all three of those box sonatas are really good. Three is always kind of... I, I really like the G minor one, too. The A minor would be my least favorite. But anyway, the one I've worked on on guitar is the one on in C. I've played the first and the fourth movement. And I realized, so that would be a sonata in C, a sonata in C, and a sonata in A minor. <laughs> so not enough variation in keys, I think. So maybe that wouldn't be... Maybe it wouldn't matter, but uh, it bugs me. It would bug me... As soon as I realized that they were all in the same key, it just bugged me, and I, I was like, "Screw that idea." So I might, I might, it might be finally time to take on the G minor sonata. I actually used to play that on violin. It was one of the last things I seriously worked on in violin before I just put that instrument down forever. I did, however, uh, realize there's a pretty big era that's missing there, and that's the Romantic era. And I, I got to thinking this. Uh, are there many sonatas written in the Romantic era? The Romantic era is pretty vacant for guitar. I mean, you have Mertz. I mean, there's a couple, right? I mean, we got our. There's, we have what we have. But like, you know, our most prominent real composers for the guitar. I don't know that Mertz wrote sonatas, did he? Terraga certainly didn't. You got like Coste. They wrote like these kind of big fantasy type pieces, but I don't know of any sonatas by them. And then I got to think, and I don't really know of a whole lot of romantic period sonatas in general, other than like the Beethoven piano sonatas. There's probably more that I'm just not aware of. But but for guitar, is there a romantic sonata? There's Ponce's son, uh, romantic sonata, but that wasn't technically written in the romantic period. And Ponce, he still, uh, you, you can still hear his time in, in those pieces. Like, I don't know that there is just a pure romantic sonata. If, I, if uh, there is one, please let me know. And if there's like a glaring one that I'm going to be really embarrassed, that's okay. I'll, I'll just deal with the consequences. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, sonata, uh, I mean, Giuliani and Soar have sonatas, but they really living in the classical period or I mean living in the romantic period but writing like it's the classical period it, I guess there was I guess the Giuliani sonata kind of covers both he's kind of both areas there anyway I do like that idea though I like the idea of programming a sonata from different eras I think now we'll take a break and then resume with some music hey like me are you addicted to sheet music 
Then let me tell you about Encoda. Encoda is an app that lets you practice, play, and perform your sheet music. It is a streaming service similar to Netflix and Spotify with tens of thousands of titles. That's millions of pages of sheet music available instantly at your fingertips. Subscribers have access to the finest editions from Boozy and Hawks, Baron Ryder, Chester, Novello, and many, many more. And they have received praise from Sir Simon Rattle and Joyce D. Donato. And if you're not sure, you can sign up for a free trial. Download Encoda from your app store today. That's Encoda, N-K-O-D-A. And be sure to let them know that the Classical Guitar Composers podcast sent you. Speaking of horror movies, though, real quick. <laughs> I watched this one called Monster Dog the other night. My wife wanted to watch it because it had Alice Cooper in it, and we love Alice Cooper. And he cameos in all kinds of terrible movies, but this one he actually was the star of. And, oh man, the movie was not great. But uh, it, it had these like two songs that there's like a full music video in the movie for each of these songs. And I had them stuck in my head, and I was like... Those are actually kind of fun songs. I, w I wish I had them. And then I, I was, I just thought, I wonder, because I have an Alice Cooper box set, so I pulled the box set off the shelf, which I listen to all the time, by the way. But I tend to listen to the first two discs, which are the earlier years. And at the very end of the third disc, it had these two songs from Monster Dog. I couldn't believe it. So I've had them the whole time, and I've definitely heard them because I've listened to it more than once. It's just not my go-to disc, but. Uh, but they they were fun anyway. I had I had these songs, and I was thinking about music and horror movies, and I'm wondering if anybody knows of movies that feature classical guitar music, besides like the obvious ones, like like the Deer Hunter. But like, is there any? Uh, have you ever been watching a movie and you just randomly hear a guitar piece? I feel like that happened to me recently, and I can't remember what it was. I I even there's like this memory of I was gonna bring it up on the show, but I've completely forgotten about it. I don't remember what it is now. Maybe it's a false memory, but I feel like I was watching a movie and I heard that, and there was like classical guitar music on. There is a movie I saw a long time ago, and I'm not recommending this movie. It's like an old grindhouse movie, and it wasn't good, but it's called Ten Violent Women. But there's a scene where they go into this bar, and somebody's playing Asturias on the classical guitar, and I was like, well, that's cool, so. I wonder, please uh, let me know if you know of movies that, you know, where you, that, that feature some classical guitar music. Okay, moving on to the music. As stated earlier, we have music by David Malmberg today. David writes, Hello, Chris. Been a while since I have checked in with you. Hope the podcast is going well. I have attached a couple of pieces from a new album. These are fairly produced, so it may be something different to consider. Here they are. First one is called Forever and a Day, and then the second, Allegories. Both of these compositions are from my latest CD release, Mayan Morning. Available and streaming throughout the world, the album was musically arranged by Mr. Victor Zupong, two-time recipient of the Los Angeles Theatre Critics Award. Forever and a Day. The phrase was originally used by Shakespeare in Taming of the Shrew. It has since become a part of our vernacular. Allegories is basically a singular motif that I play with through major and minor harmonization. Interestingly, 
there's a departure from that motif from A minor to E minor, the middle section, where I was heavily influenced by the arpeggiated section of the Bach Chaconne. Anyways, it all might be something you can use. Stay safe. My best, David Malmberg. Thank you, David. And you as well. And of course, I'm happy to feature this music. So, as always, I'd recommend pausing the podcast and getting yourself a glass of iced tea. Or perhaps refilling. Honestly, this entire show is probably better with a beverage. And sit back and enjoy as we listen to Forever in a Day and Allegories by David Malmberg.
And there it is. We've just heard two pieces by David Malmberg. If you go to www.classicalguitarcomposers.com, I'll have links to all of David's websites where you can find his music and more. In fact, there is more. I, I was looking up David, and I came apart. I came across an article, and turns out David is also a very talented ventriloquist. And I sincerely mean, I think that is awesome. So my younger daughter has gotten really into ventriloquism. She actually. Um, she's like been reading a book and she practices in front of a mirror and she's getting quite good I thought that was kind of neat so and I realized David he had sent me before two websites and one of them led to his uh, his other he has a music website and then um, another one that features his ventriloquism and David's very good so with that we're going to call it a day. I will talk to you again in the July podcast. Thank you all for joining me today. Okay, and then one more thing I keep forgetting to mention. It's been a while, but uh, if you'd like to support the show and get a little something in return, if you go to that website, www.classicalguitarcomposers.com, and click on the link Sheet Music, there's a link where you can buy some of uh, my sheet music. And if you've enjoyed those pieces, I'd encourage you to do so. It'd be a great way to help out the show and get a little something in return. I know I always love collecting more sheet music. And I would also encourage you to visit the various websites and links from all of our composers. There's often ways to purchase music, sheet music, recordings, and whatnot. Many of them are free of charge. So check them out. And support the show and support the supporters of the show <laughs> and with that we're going to wrap up episode 19 I'd like to thank you all for joining me I wish you all the best and I will see you in episode 20 until then keep on plucking